0: That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No by law. 18+ terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Happy New Year. Welcome back to TV's Top 5, the Hollywood Reporter's TV podcast. I'm Leslie Goldberg, West Coast TV editor, and I'm joined by THR's chief TV critic, Daniel Feinberg. Welcome, Dan.
2: Happy New Year, Leslie.
1: Happy New Year, Dan. Did you have a great holiday?
2: I had an acceptable holiday. How about you?
1: I watched a lot of TV, and then I really just tuned everything off and turned every screen off. It was lovely.
2: Oh, I I did the first part without doing the second part. (laughs) There's no rest for a TV center.
1: That's correct. And every week, Dan and I will go beyond the headlines of the top TV stories and offer a deep dive into the latest news and biggest episodes of the week. Let's get to it with our first podcast of 2019 and lead off with a look back at the holiday hits... And misses.
2: Number one.
1: If you felt like Netflix hijacked the holidays, it's probably because they really did, and they had something for everyone, with the debut of Buzzy Interactive Black Mirror feature Bandersnatch, feature of Bird Box, and the well-timed New Year's Eve announcement that Stranger Things season three would debut on the 4th of July. This, of course, isn't a new practice for Netflix. If you remember back in 2015, they had the water cooler hit of the holiday break with the series debut of Making a Murderer, which, of course, turned into a cultural phenomenon. Dan, I mean, how much of the Netflix stuff did you watch? I feel
2: like holiday? I feel like I watched all of it. I <laughs> And and that is simply the the reality of where we are is that Netflix rules everything around us. And uh, it, if it isn't one Netflix thing, it's another. And you can't necessarily even anticipate what is going to become the breakout. So Bird Box, looking back in retrospect, sure, it's absolutely easy to understand a number of the reasons why it was the phenomenon it was, but it went from being this, oh, look, it's odd, there's a Sandra Bullock movie, it's premiering on Netflix thing, to suddenly being meme central within two or three days, and that always... Surprises amuses baffles me, and I feel like people are still talking about it long past when people last talked about Bandersnatch. I feel like Bandersnatch had its two or three days where everyone was having fun with it, and it kind of vanished. Yeah, they do not sleep at Netflix.
1: No, they don't. And I mean, you know, I watched Bandersnatch, and I thought it was, I thought it was an achievement creatively. I don't know that it really got the message out that of what the creators really wanted to say with it but i thought it for what it was the interactive filmmaking piece of it by filmmaking i mean it's you know it's over 90 minutes if you go if you make certain choices so i'm going to call it a film even though it's technically an episode of black mirror but i thought you know look this is something that netflix put out with little to no fanfare it was basically a surprise drop you know they announced the trailer and, and a premiere date what like a couple of days before it launched and then poof here it is and then as you said it was everywhere. It was unavoidable, you know, and it came out at a time when the ne- the broadcast networks and a lot of cable outlets as well really just kind of laid down with repeat programming.
2: And I eventually made my way to it, even though it took me four different attempts to actually watch it. I couldn't watch it on my Apple TV. I couldn't watch it on my Safari web browser. The more fool me for attempting to use Safari. I understand that. <laughs> One of these days, I'll quit you, Safari. And then eventually I finally got it to work on Firefox. And by that time, I was already so exhausted by the process that the process of then having to actively watch the TV show was more involving ultimately than the story being told. I I found myself drifting in and out and not really feeling like I was connecting to an actual story. Like there are characters here and ultimately the, th- the only thing I could think of involving the characters was whether or not I what wanted to kick my father in the balls or chop up one body or bury it. I, I you know I don't know how much I cared about any of it.
1: I mean it- I cared mostly about the 80s music references in the beginning. I mean <laughs> I love me some Thompson twins, I'm not gonna lie.
2: I also selected the Thompson twins and was also perfectly happy with that selection. This absolutely in two or three years, if this is something we've done more of, is going to look really rudimentary and and pretty childlike. And I, I kind of wonder if you're an artist and you know that what you're doing is going to be outmoded and instantly obsolete, how you approach what you're doing, because really and truly in three years, Bandersnatch is going to be a footnote. It, it is not going to be something where everyone's going to go, oh, this is a paragon of the interactive television process. Someone, if they're lucky, will look back and go, oh, this was something that proved it could be done by better
1: things. You know? But do you think that this is something that we're going to see more of in terms of the interactive component? I mean, Charlie Booker has said this is something that was two years in the making. Do you foresee more of these
2: these types of shows? Oh, good God, yes. Netflix doesn't pour money into things that they do only once. In the same way as we've already discussed the frequency with which Netflix renews TV shows that, frankly, they shouldn't be renewing because they don't want to do TV shows just once. But if they put the effort into making sure that the technology existed... And that the technology was going to be effective enough for people not to get pissed off at Netflix for even trying it. Oh, of course they're gonna try more. I assume they've taken hundreds of pitches since the new year, and probably thousands of pitches before that, on how people can do Bandersnatch only better. And I think we will see it. I don't know that I am at all looking forward to it. However, I have now figured out what things I'll be able to watch it on. And so if nothing else, the initial Tsuras will be out of the equation. So that's a plus. Yeah.
1: One of the other big winners this holiday season, and I'm going to call it a holiday hit, just even though it premiered on Wednesday, is Fox is the Masked Singer. It was hard to turn on broadcast television without seeing any kind of promotion for this. This is something that heavily promoted during the football coverage. Frankly, you know, all around Los Angeles, there's billboards everywhere. I mean, we had the lion come to the THR newsroom the other day and the ratings returns for it were, I think, probably more than anyone had really anticipated. I think as of right now, it's a 3.0 in the in the adult 1849 demo and 9.2 million total viewers. That's big. That's bigger than ABC's American Idol return. It's bigger than The Voice. It's the highest rated unscripted debut on any network in three years. It's Fox's highest rated debut since Empire what do you think of this show
2: the show itself it's essentially critic proof we didn't review it and i don't know how i even would have reviewed it it's not good or bad in a traditional sense but it's extremely watchable and it's very hard to take your eyes off of it once you start watching it because it is so blatantly weird it's really like you took peyote and And you went to a midnight screening of Where the Wild Things Are and then randomly walked out in the middle of the screening and walked to a karaoke bar and sort of in your mind... Characters
1: like Donnie Darko and from Pan's Labyrinth and...
2: Yeah, it is so very messed up and strange to process what it is, and what it is is just a very, very silly reality singing competition format with a bunch of useless judges who serve no purpose whatsoever. I got no amusement whatsoever out of any of those four judges. On the other hand, I couldn't turn it off. I made it to the end because I wanted to find out who at least one of the stars was. Say what you will, the star they unveiled, not to spoil it, was at least within his or her field of choice, absolutely a A-list star, even if a lot of the people watching it probably have no clue who he or she I was. I had
1: no clue who... who oh, who you don't.
2: know, within this person's field, this person is absolutely top tier.
1: But I mean, this to me feels like something <laughs> that people are going to watch or read about as the stories are, are doing well for us because it's, you know, it's Curiosity Killed the Cat, right? Who are these people? Who are these, these people wearing these ridiculous and, and elaborate costumes? And I mean... <laughs> That's all I want to know. I mean, I, I clicked our recap last night and, and, you know, just to find out who, who it was. I mean, I <laughs> still don't. And of course, I don't know who it was. And apparently you were
2: disappointed.
1: Which. But I mean, in, in this context, I mean, is this someone that, that sets a good bar for people to come back and say, oh, they, they are getting good people?
2: Again, I think some people will have said, oh, I have no clue who that is. And they will be disappointed. I think on the other hand, some percentage... Of the viewers will go, okay, that's absolutely a a star of a certain kind. I guess the question always when something actually breaks through the broadcast clutter is what do you think the lessons are that anyone could reproduce? Or is the lesson just that we're going to get a green light for season two of Masked Singer?
1: I think you're definitely going to get a season two green light. I mean, it it fits in with what New Fox is doing. It's a big unscripted bet. It probably didn't cost them a ton of money to produce. (laughs) And it's cheaper to make than, than a scripted original. And, you know, look, if, if they if the celebrities get bigger and become more household names as the show goes on, I think the ratings will continue to climb.
2: So we've talked mostly about the kind of positives. Of course, if there are hits of the new year, give me a couple of the misses quickly.
1: Kevin Spacey and Louis C.K. both delivered huge lumps of coal for the holidays. Spacey reprised his House of Cards role as Frank Underwood in a Christmas Eve video. Christmas Eve video. Let, let that sink in for a second. In which he broke his silence about the sexual assault allegations against him. The video posted almost concurrently as news broke that the disgraced actor who was fired from House of Cards must face a charge of felony sexual assault and and appear in court January 7th. I mean, Christmas Eve video to do that. And also this is he reprised a character from a show. Yes, he exec produced, but a show that he was nonetheless fired from that had already concluded its run months earlier. And then you've got C.K., who's facing mounting backlash after audio believed to be from one of his December stand-up sets in which he mocked people who identify as gender-neutral as well as the Parkland shooting survivors who have used the deadly shooting to testify before Congress and speak about the need for gun control. Dan, I mean, is there a future for either one of these guys?
2: Don't forget that he also uh, mocked Asian men and their genitals. This was an all-around classy performance by uh, Louis C.K., I couldn't care less what happens to Kevin Spacey other than getting prosecuted if he's broken any laws. So, you know, that's that. I I feel bad about Louis C.K. because I think there there has been a reductive narrative in the past few days of, oh, this is just him showing who he always was. Oh, this is him removing the mask. Oh, you know, this was always what his material was. And, and I think that is sad and reductive because I think... Louis C.K. persona for the past 15 years was one of a man trying to learn. It really was. It, it was about a man who didn't necessarily always understand what was happening in the world around him, but in large part due to his his children, his daughters, was trying to come to terms with the things that baffled him about the world. And I think if you look at Louis, at the FX show in particular, if you look at Horace and Pete, if you look at a lot of the shows that he produced, I, I don't think those are I don't think those were masks. I don't think those were lies. I think this was a man who is slash was a complicated man who did awful things, but who was trying something. And I do think that this stand-up thing, it, it speaks to someone who has surrendered. And that is what makes me sad. If he's decided that he just wants to be the pet comedian of the alt-right, you know, I guess that's, I guess he's entitled to do that. It just, it makes me sad he's fully entitled to come back. He can, he can go to whatever comedy club will put him on the stage. What he isn't entitled to anymore is the benefit of the doubt and the benefit of the doubt that we gave him for years. Lots of people didn't, but lots of people did, where we said, okay, yes, he said these non-politically correct things, whatever, in the past, but here he is, he's trying. And I think he's lost that benefit of the doubt. And Without that benefit of the doubt, what he is is, you know, sad. At this point, that's that's all that I felt listening to that routine is, my God, this is not funny. This is hacky. This is sad. And I thought he was better, but apparently I was wrong.
1: Let's close the book on on 2018 and and start looking ahead to other things that could possibly make you sad in 2019 with a number of high profile shows that are actually ending their run this year.
2: Number two.
1: You've got several iconic comedies and dramas, yet the rare privilege to know in advance that their upcoming seasons will be their last. Among the more than 20 confirmed to end this year, some huge franchises, HBO's Game of Thrones, Veep, CBS's The Big Bang Theory, Netflix' Orange is the New Black and Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, Showtime's Homeland, USA Network's Mr. Robot, a pair of CW Critical Gems, Jane the Virgin and Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, and of course, Comedy Central's Broad City, There's a lot. I mean, these are big franchise tentpole shows, awards, darlings, critical favorites. Dan, which of these will you miss the most?
2: I'm going to surprise you a little bit here. And I'm going to say that the ones that I'm going to miss the most are the two CW shows are are Jane the Virgin and Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, because I, I feel like those shows occupy a space that isn't being filled so much and in their absence the landscape is going to suffer much more than the absence of a lot of these other shows. To me, Jane the Virgin and Crazy Ex-Girlfriend both reflect the best of what broadcast television can do, even if neither one has ever been watched by a large number of people. But but to me, those are both shows that are saying we can be broad, but we can also be very specific. We can also be voice-driven. We can also blend genres and tones and all of this. And you take those shows away, and the the broadcast landscape is is less adventurous. And certainly, the CW's landscape is less adventurous. The CW's landscape at a certain point just becomes a bunch of DC shows. And so, the CW is losing a lot of its personality shows because they're also losing iZombie as well. And uh, you know, iZombie is a show I've always been kind of hit and miss on, but when it's good, it's very good. And you take those three shows out of the CW's lineup, and their identity. Is really just all of these dc shows and they're just going to keep adding more but no i i'll I'll miss a bunch of these i'll miss game of thrones because it's a show that got people talking about tv that's that's always good i'm gonna miss veep because veep never got bad (laughs) And, and that's the best thing about veep take off your reporting impartiality hat for a couple seconds leslie which of these are you gonna miss
1: I mean, anyone who knows me knows that I love The Big Bang Theory. I grew up working in a comic book and baseball card shop. There's a, definitely a part of my personality that that relates to Sheldon. And, you know, of course, Leonard and the put-upon roommate. I'm going to miss that show. That's something I've watched every episode of. My wife and I have been to the set multiple times. It's, it's part of me. And, you know, I never quite got into the prequel Young Sheldon, but I love all the people who are associated with Big Bang and find that to be a way that made you know, exploiting the nerd culture kind of human. You know, it, it just showed that the inner, you know, the, the struggles of, of those characters. And, and I related to that. I mean, I grew up, a, a, you know, a, a sheltered nerd who literally worked at a comic book shop. And I mean, this was, it reminded me of my childhood as much as the Goldbergs reminds me of being a Jewish kid growing up in the 80s. So I'll miss that. And of course, Game of Thrones. I mean, that's must watch, must watch live. And I mean, if you haven't read any of this is where I shameless plug uh, (laughs) THR.com slash Game of Thrones and our excellent Josh Wiggler, who he is our resident king of Westeros. You know, look, what's interesting is that a lot of these big ticket shows are, you know, while the main franchises are ending, each network and outlet is is looking for ways to continue it. Look, there's a Jane the Virgin spin-off in development at CW. HBO, of course, is doing several Game of Thrones prequels, one of which has a pilot order and Naomi Watts attached to Star And then there's
2: also just the what are people going to do next question, which I think is interesting with a lot of these. So, you know, missing Broad City, absolutely going to miss Broad City. But I can't wait to see what the Broad City women do because they are so very talented and they've already begun to kind of tiptoe into other things. So I'm looking forward to seeing what they do. And
1: and look, they have a development deal at Comedy Central and several shows in development. And Abby Jacobson is attached to write and exec produce a League of Their Own reboot for Amazon, which I, I hear is heating up. And sounds extremely unbrand for me, you know. These are shows that that launched careers. So yeah, it, it will be interesting to see what like the cast of Game of Thrones does next, or you know, if Claire Danes remains in in television after Homeland.
2: What Rachel Bloom does next? I think these are these are all extremely talented people. There's a reason why these shows are as beloved as they are. David Simon, you know, so the Deuce is going away. Bring on the next David Simon show that no one will watch and the critics will love because it will be awesome. That's what we're here for, darn it. So yeah, there's there's a lot of sadness about losing these shows, but also happiness. And I, I feel as if when we talk about the potential spin-offs and breakouts coming out of these shows, that feels like a transition to me. Number three.
1: Yes, there are several really high-profile, brand-new shows coming out in 2019. Apple is rumored to be unspooling some of its high-profile scripted fare in the summer. That will include the Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon morning news show drama. CBS All Access is revisiting The Twilight Zone with Jordan Peele. FX has a stack 2019 with What We Do in the Shadows. Alex Garland's Devs, Possibly Why the Last Man, which is probably number one on my must-see list and Fosse-Verdon, starring Michelle Williams and Sam Rockwell. Meanwhile, HBO will hope that Watchmen and Zendaya Vehicle Euphoria will hit. Hulu brings George Clooney back to TV with miniseries Catch-22. Showtime has a Roger Ailes limited series with Russell Crowe. Netflix, which continues its aggressive spending spree as every year, has Paul Rudd playing dual roles in comedy Living With Yourself a comic adaptation of Umbrella Academy, a RuPaul comedy called AJ and the Queen, Idris Elba's Turn Up Charlie, an animated comedy featuring (laughs) Tiffany Haddish and Ali Wong, and possibly the first of its new Shonda Rhimes shows. I mean, and that's just the tip of the iceberg, Dan. I mean, there's so much coming out. What's grabbed your attention? So what
2: you're saying is the 2019 is not the year that I uh, rekindle my love of reading books,
1: right? 100%.
2: Okay, well, I mean, definitely, you mentioned a lot of the things that I'm I'm looking forward to. Uh, very curious about Watchmen, not particularly because of the Alan Moore comic, though I love the Alan Moore comic and and properly respect and admire its importance. But on the other hand, Damon Lindelof's first show since Leftovers, that to me is is kind of must-see TV.
1: And it's got a great cast, too. Oh, it's got a fantastic cast. List some of the people in the cast. Regina King, Jeremy Irons, Don Johnson, Tim Blake Nelson, and Louis Gossett Jr.
2: That is a very good cast. I frankly hope it turns out to be more like Leftovers than like Zack Snyder's Watchmen and that it immediately begins alienating people, that it like premieres with 10 million viewers and then it's down to 200,000 passionate viewers by week two who who just make fun of everyone for tuning out. I'm sorry, HBO. HBO would prefer that I not suggest that it's going to squander 10 million viewers between week one and week two. Looking forward to that. What are the chances, do you figure, that we get a new season of Fargo by the end of this year? I know at some point we were supposed to, the Chris Rock Kansas City period season. We'll see if that actually happens. But heaven knows the first three seasons were among my favorite things. You mentioned uh, Tuca and Birdie which is from Raphael Bob-Waksberg and Lisa Hannawalt from Bojack Horseman. And those are two of the most talented people working in animation. So that's... And
1: two of the most in-demand people working in animation, I should also add.
2: Yes. So put those two people behind a show. I will be watching that.
1: And I... the cast is great. Tiffany Haddish and Ali Wong.
2: Definitely catching the big names on their way up. So I am all there for that. You've got good omens on Amazon. I would like for that to be good. Uh, That's David Tennant, John Hamm, other various people. Neil Gaiman, of course. And I would love for Catch-22 to be good. I I think that George Clooney is the right person to be directing, adapting it. I just wonder if it's going to be the good George Clooney, because... There was the George Clooney who made Good Night and Good Luck, and I love Confessions of a Dangerous Mind, who, who got off to this, oh, my God, he's such a promising director start. And then there's the George Clooney whose more recent movies have kind of vanished. So I, I think that if it gets good George Clooney, it ought to be fantastic. Who knows? We will see.
1: There's a lot to look into. And, 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 you know, let's be honest. You know, there's always Netflix and doing a surprise drop or Showtime coming out with an, another show that, that uh, with Sasha Baron Cohen and with zero promotion and zero warning. I mean, anything could happen at this point.
2: Uh, the only thing that won't happen is Downtime.
1: Correct. But that's a good thing if you're a TV fan. And speaking of TV fans, our fourth topic this week, let's welcome the first guest to TV's top five, the Hollywood Reporter's awards season guru and awards chatter podcast host, Scott Feinberg, for a preview of Sunday's Golden Globes. Number four. Welcome, Scott. Let's get into a little Feinberg and Feinberg banter here with all things Globes. You know, the assassination of Gianni Versace, American Crime Story, leads the TV pack with four. FX topped HBO, Amazon, and Netflix on the network side. And there's nominations for a tons of big-name stars, Julia Roberts, Amy Adams, Michael Douglas, Jim Carrey, all on the TV side, which is even more impressive. Scott, what can we expect?
3: Well, I think the, the key thing that has defined the Globes in the last few years, especially in terms of its TV awards, has been the idea of being the kingmaker, getting on board for new shows and talent from new shows before anyone else, and so you're almost penalized for having previously been eligible at the Emmys, which that was, for instance, the case with Johnny Versace, so it didn't affect it in terms of nominations, but I don't think it's going to be winning in the proportion that it did at the Emmys. I think instead you're going to see a lot of new shows recognized in one way or another. You've got in the top drama category, for instance, Bodyguard, Homecoming, or Pose. I think one of them is likely to win, and we can get into specifics about, you know, which, but on the musical or comedy side for for series, you've also got Kidding and the Kaminsky Method, and, and those join a number of returning shows. So the point is just that I think, you know, the Globes, you've got to remember, it's a group of only about 90 people. They like to think they have personal relationships with these stars. They think they can cement those by recognizing top talent early in their careers, which in some ways is true. You take the Julia Roberts example. She was getting Golden Globes for Steel Magnolias and Pretty Woman, you know, a decade before the Academy ever gave her an award. It's easier for the TV Academy to do that because they have in many of the major categories two awards one for dramas, one for musicals or comedies. But, you know, I think that you will see some of those kind of putting down the marker hey, we were on board for Richard Madden before everybody else or or different folks like that.
2: Well, one thing I, I always wonder is when you have to do your prognostication on these, I know you kind of have your you have your finger on the pulse of the Academy always when it gets to be Emmy season. Is it possible to have your finger on the pulse of the 91 members of
3: the HFPA? It's very hard, but, uh, you know, it's... it's and, and would you want to have your exactly, finger on the pulse I mean These are some characters, exactly. And the joke every year, of course, at the show is that these are... These are three things that everybody seems to hate these days, Hollywood, press, and foreigners. But these folks, they're chatty. They like being heard, and so they don't mind sharing information. And so there have been a lot of opportunities throughout the year to kind of gauge their their pulse on a lot of these shows. And then there are a few people who I always check in with before the prognostication has to be locked in. But yeah, things, things can be decided in the case of the Globes by just a couple of people. So it's never easy to predict. But again, the, there are certain giveaways where you know they, they really love The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I think that that did not decrease from season one to season two is my sense from them. I think that for the first time in, in like a decade, you might see a repeat winner in the actress, musical, or comedy category with – Rachel Brosnahan, for instance, based on what I'm hearing. But, you know, you can just kind of get general vibes. Then you have to, and and also know that how they like to be seen. They like to be seen as being with it and sort of edgy. And so I think that can help a show like Pose, which has not yet come before the TV Academy. You know, they also like to have legends kind of experience special moments in their presence that could help a Michael Douglas, for instance, with them. And they also do have favorites. They we have many years of track records with folks like Amy Adams, who's been nominated, I think, nine or ten times. She's up twice this year for awards, once on the film side for Vice, once on the T V side for Sharp Objects. You can kind of know how they feel about some of these recurring characters.
2: I think Amy Adams is, for me, one of the more fascinating, quote-unquote, characters in this year's Golden Globes race, because I know I did it, and I feel like a bunch of other people did. When Sharp Objects came out, everyone just said, "Okay, she's getting all the awards for this for the next calendar year. It'll start in the Golden Globes. Nothing can stop. And then I feel like that the dialogue changed a little bit when people actually saw Escape at Danamora and saw what Patricia Arquette is doing because it's such a a wildly transformative performance. And I, I've suddenly all of those awards that were going to Amy Adams, I'm no longer sure they all are. Absolutely. What's, what's no, I, I
3: think that? it's going to be very tight and I wouldn't totally rule out Connie Britton for Dirty John either. These are the shows that have been more recently the center of discussion for the industry, and I think these guys like to reflect that. I do think at the end of the day, I I give a slight edge to Amy Adams. It could go either way, but again, they respond to star power. There are certain terms that I probably can't say on this show that are often used to describe the HFPA in terms of a, a verb, and that is something that generally would benefit Amy Adams probably more than Patricia Arquette.
2: Are you referring to star romancing?
3: Yeah, uh, star making love. Okay, yes. exactly. Yes.
2: <laughs> Let me say, by the way, that if Connie Britton beats Patricia Arquette and Amy Adams yes. in that category, my eyes will roll so far <laughs> back into my head, you you will not see my pupils for months. Well, It'll be just whites.
3: I understand that. And I'll tell you that they, they used to have a way around situations like that, which was if you look back, at, you know, late 80s, early 90s, they just kind of magically had three-way ties multiple times a night. There were some years where it's like, listen, you know, if you bothered to show up, we, we of course, we got to send you home with something. So uh, then they they got, I think, a, a new accounting firm when people started to question that. But they've they've become a little bit more legit in recent years, and at least tried to. And there's no outrageously ridiculous nominees that come to mind this year in the way that. Just within the last decade, you know, burlesque and what's the one with Johnny Depp on a tr- uh, the and tourist? The tourist, uh,
2: Piper Parabo for Covert yeah. Affairs. The several years <laughs> in a row that USA got nominations for stars, yes. where people were like, Wait, that person had a TV show exactly. this year? Uh,
1: <laughs> with apologies to USA, right. Right. with
3: apologies somewhat to USA. Now their big thing is stars, right? They love stars. But you know, the, 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 the part of what people need to realize is that the, the HFPA. It's a group of journalists, but they sort of play by different rules than anybody else. <laughs> than conventional journalists, you know, most of us can't just accept an all-expenses-paid trip to a set of a movie or TV show in Egypt and things like that. That might affect the way you feel about something if we, if we could. There are gifts up to a certain, I think, like $90 maximum value for gifts they can receive, and so people send them things. The, my favorite example was with Nocturnal Animals a year or two ago. Tom Ford sent them two fragrances. And then when they realized that their combined value exceeded 90, they were required to return one of them. The, the whole rest of the season we were saying this smells a little fishy about <laughs> nocturnal animals, but you know, they have, they have some strange things like that. And then the other way they can be influenced is at press conferences where they expect talent to sort of come and kiss the ring and answer questions so that they can write their one or two articles that they're required to produce a month or a year, there's there's pretty low demands for you know being able to remain an active member of the HFPA. You just have to put out a little bit of, of journalism. Sometimes it's the kind that appears on airline magazines with and apparently loosely sources.
2: You don't even need to actually interview the subjects <laughs> for right. some of those. Interviews. Only take a
3: selfie. That's it. That, that's the big thing now. Um, but no, I mean th- most of these are good guys and they try. But you know it's tough. These this is an organization where. Once you're invited to join, you're pretty much, as with the Academy, in there unless you really screw up in some major way for the rest of your life. So part of it's just waiting out the clock.
1: So if you were going to go out on a limb, yeah. what are some of the surprises to expect from Sunday Show?
3: I think there's a very good chance that Sasha Baron Cohen will win Best Actor in a Musical or Comedy for Who is America. They previously awarded him a Golden Globe for Borat for his performance in Borat about 11 years ago. And what he's doing is so different from what anyone else is doing that I think they may give that some recognition. He's up against Michael Douglas, who I mentioned earlier, who they also love. You know, that'll be one to keep an eye on. We know they have deep feelings for Hugh Grant, who's up for the first time for an award for a very English scandal. He's somebody who's previously won a Golden Globe and been nominated a bunch of times. I think that could play out. And what would be for me, and I know for Leslie, and I think for for Dan, a, a nice moment We all were very excited when Henry Winkler won the Emmy a few months ago. And I think this may be one of the rare moments where the HFPA won't mind following the TV Academy in honoring Winkler, which would be kind of cool because, yes, he has won two Golden Globes before, but the most recent was 41 years ago for Happy Days. So that would be a pretty major thing to see him beat a field that's sort of all over the place. Otherwise, you've got the Culkin brother for succession i can't even keep track of which I like, one I, like the, I, yeah.
2: have, I have the exact same problem it's whichever culkin <laughs> is in succession the answer is kieran that one yes but who is great <laughs> who is, no, who's fantastic yeah. if i had a vote Right. Actually, if I had a vote, it would be for Ben Wish on this category. Okay. But if I had two votes, it would be for Ben Wish on Karen Culkin. And, but... and I
1: would give both of my votes to Henry Winkler because <laughs> yes. Happy Days is the t- TV show that made me fall in love with television. And he's really great on Barry. And
2: he's but, fantastic. You know, they... No, this to me is – And a good human. Is, that, that is such a good category though because it has the – you know it does have the Lifetime Achievement Award people. So you, right. you've got Arkin, right. Alan Arkin, and Henry Winkler. So either one of them, it's a good moment. Right. You get to have them up on the stage. Karen Culkin is sort of a, a young gun. This is a group that does often enjoy its foreign actors as well. Yeah. So you've got Edgar Ramirez and Ben Wishon. with Ben Wishaw, I feel like it's also the chance to have a, a minor coronation. I don't think his career needs the HFPA's stamp of approval, but it certainly wouldn't hurt. No, absolutely. So.
3: And, and you you nailed it about recognizing international talent sometimes as well. I think we might see more of that on the film side possibly this year. But they're kind of unpredictable in, in certain categories and I like for instance I'm really looking forward to seeing what they do with supporting actress where they pick from people who are in series miniseries and tv films all alongside each other so I, it's truly apples oranges and pears or, or whatever I but, hate that so much you know it doesn't make any sense but on the other hand if they didn't do that we'd have three more categories for each gender so I, I guess I'm not sure that would be better and also I think an, an issue is that sometimes people are unclear about which season of a show They're voting for so it's just all over the place and it's hard to keep track but i think that like the good place wasn't really well the americans wasn't ever nominated for a series prize before now here we are does that mean that they've suddenly awakened to the fact that this is a great show and they want a a series win i don't know i think that it's hard for them to get past the idea like their worldview that that's almost wasting a vote because we're never gonna have to you know, deal with that show again. Um, let's let's give it to somebody who we're going to be seeing for the next few years. <sighs>
2: you've, already, you've definitely made me wonder why I'm going to be dedicating so much of my Sunday night to stressing out about the Golden Globe Awards, Scott.
1: <laughs> so let, let's hear your your two picks. So best comedy, best drama.
3: Well, for best drama, they have been more open to streaming than even the TV Academy has been. Their last two winners were streaming shows: The The Crown and then The Handmaid's Tale. So I don't think that in any way disadvantages Homecoming from Amazon, which again is very star-studded. I do, however, think they like to be seen as you know enlightened and edgy and ahead of the game. And we know based on history that they love Ryan Murphy productions. So I am going to go with Pose with not a great deal of confidence, but I think that is going to be where Pose gets a little recognition. So I think any of those three new shows that are competing against The Americans and Killing Eve meaning Bodyguard Homecoming or Pose could pull it off but i'm going to go with Pose there does that seem crazy to either of you guys it doesn't
2: seem crazy i i would put my money on Homecoming yeah. based on based on the fact that they really do like their amazon shows they you know do. Mozart in the Jungle one comedy series so at that point Homecoming
3: is that's true <laughs> but that also leads me to where i'm going for musical or comedy series okay. where I think it is, you know, not—again, it's not their, their way to frequently repeat winners because why not spread it to others who can then be grateful to you? So that would m- suggest that the winner would be a, a newly eligible show such as Barry, which wasn't eligible for the Globes last year. It was at the Emmys, Kidding, which is from Showtime with Jim Carrey, or The Kaminsky Method over at Netflix. Not The Good Place, which they're sort of catching on to now, just like with The Americans— and therefore also not like Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. But I am hearing that the group is just as enamored, if not more so, with season two of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which they really were among the first to get on board with and champion last year. So I think a repeat there for Maisel is very possible. And actually, again, maybe even more so for its star, Rachel Brosnahan, in the actress in a musical or comedy category. But again, we're talking. I think it's important to remember the margins here. If it's a group of ninety people and they are split up, you know, between three or four shows, two or three votes can make the difference. And so maybe that's a bit of a cop out. But that is where I'm going to leave you with.
2: Pose and Maisel are your two official. Well, let's formal, not
3: keep repeating this. Case. Let's you know we can <laughs> let people you know kind of forget about it if it's <laughs> wrong. <laughs>
1: Oh, those are some great picks, Scott. Thank you for joining Thank us. Thank you for having me. If you haven't already, please subscribe to Scott's podcast, Awards Chatter. He's gotten—I've lost track of how many Golden Globe nominees he's had on there, He's uh, including a recent great interview with Sasha Baron Cohen.
2: Definitely listen to the Sasha Baron Cohen
1: episode. That'll take us to our fifth and final topic of the week, The Critics Cornered. Number five. Dan, you had a lot of premieres this week, Freeform's Foster spinoff, Good Trouble— History's Project Blue Book, ABC's Goldberg spinoff Schooled, the final season of one of my favorites, FXX's You're the Worst, NBC begins its run of Brooklyn Nine-Nine, The Good Place comes back from its midseason break, CBS has midseason comedy Fam starring Nina Dobrev. What do you have? What's worth watching?
2: I think that what's worth watching is two bad network comedies that remind you how hard it is to do network comedy so that what you actually should be watching is Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which makes its NBC debut next week and just slides right back in as if it never left Fox. And why would it feel any different? It already came from NBC Uni, so it's not like anything has changed other than the address. Uh, So I can tell you the first two episodes of Brooklyn Nine-Nine are great. But also that you really don't want to watch Fam, and you probably don't want to watch Schooled either, because they, they both get off to bumpy starts. I have faith, actually, that Schooled could potentially become better, because I didn't like the Goldbergs when it started either. I thought it was way too broad. I thought it was really messy. I, I thought it just didn't have the voices of any of the characters. It didn't have its heart, and eventually it found it. Well, School is really uh, messy. It's really broad, it doesn't have its heart, it doesn't have its characters, so that means it's it's just setting you up perfectly for improvement. <laughs>
1: you know, Schooled is a show that went through a lot of different incarnations. I mean, it was picked up to pilot two years ago, it almost went to series, it just missed the pickup, producer Sony tried to shop it, Hulu, you know, sniffed around and ultimately didn't go, and creator Adam F. Goldberg decided to kind of take another stab at it. He moved AJ Machalka over from the Goldbergs to Schooled, reconceived the entire thing, made her the front line and the audience's way into it. And also, you know, look, that's one of the... Lainey is one of the better characters on the Goldbergs in terms of the supporting outside of the family.
2: I mean, you say that Lainey's one of the best characters on the Goldbergs, and I have always liked the lainey Berry relationship, but I don't know that I like the lainey Berry relationship because of Lainey as a quote-unquote developed character. Like, they've done some work, particularly with her father, played by David Kackner, who's always great. Which is, um, And
1: those storylines are always funny.
2: And they are, but... I, a lot of what I've been struck by watching the only one episode of School that they've sent out is that I don't really know Lainey as a character. And people keep referring to her certain characteristics about her. And I'm like, I don't remember that being actually all that relevant. Why am I supposed to care about that?
1: I think this is the show, you know, I, I watched the pilot. And I, as much as I love the Goldbergs, I didn't love School as much as I, I like the flagship. But, you know, I think her journey is getting to know who she is. And I think that's what this show, you know, in success could be.
2: In success, absolutely. I know. I will, I will keep watching Schooled. I, I, you know, I like the Goldbergs a pretty fair amount now. I did not when I started, and so I feel inclined to give it some shot. Whereas with Fam, it's just another example of a CBS sitcom with a great cast of people who are all sitting there hoping that their show somehow magically gets to 100 episodes so they get that CBS money, and no one bothered to stop and see if there's enough show for two episodes, much less 100, and it's a phenomenal cast. It's, you know, Nina Dobrev going from Vampire Diaries to comedy, and she's fine. Tone Bell is an actor who I've liked a lot and a bunch of other stuff. He's an actor in search of a vehicle. This is not going to be it. But then you have, you know, some Gary Cole utterly wasted Just an amazing cast of actors who have nothing to do. And it's and a
1: showrunner that's already been replaced.
2: Yeah, it's another one of those shows that has a a CBS shows that has an utterly hacky impression of what millennials are like. And in this case, it's a 16-year-old character. So she's not even technically a millennial, though everyone keeps calling her that because CBS really has no clue what a millennial is. They just like to make fun of them. The only notable thing about the show is that it's yet another one of Pamela Adlon's daughters. Uh, One of them was in Blockers and Very Funny, and another one is one of the stars here in FAM. And I kind of like that Pamela Adlon has this apparently series of of children who are just going to suddenly start popping up and all kind of have her raspy voice and her funny laugh. And they're all really kind of amusing, and I hope they all get better work. This is not a good showcase, so really the best thing you could watch— This week is not really a new thing, but it's Brooklyn Nine-Nine, which continues to be a a special and good show. And it's it's good that it got this additional season on NBC.
1: Nine-Nine? This just feels like a good note to end things on. Thank you for listening to TV's Top 5, the Hollywood Reporter's TV podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your various podcast platforms.
2: And also rate us if you like us. If you don't, you can keep that to yourself. We will be back next week with more headlines from the TV world.